And we were just going to look at a few verses and talk about a certain individual. Mark chapter 1. Give me a thumbs up when you, when you make it to Mark. Um, good rule of thumb. So we want to bring our Bibles to youth group. We have some in the back if we need to. Um, but don't put up your phone. Gospel Mark. Thumbs up. We good? You guys good? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Get some energy going in here. All right. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read this passage for us, and then I'll pray for our time. It says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes one, excuse me, after me he who is, wow, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. I just pray, Lord, that um, this would be just a simple message. That, that there wouldn't be anything more that needs to be discussed other than what you have for us in this text. Um, so, Lord, I thank you for these students. I just pray that you would work in their lives tonight. Amen. When I was in the fourth grade, I got invited to a birthday party. And um, it was pretty standard quo for a fourth grade birthday party. But the thing that, that struck me about this party was the invitation that I got. Um, I used to watch this show called My Sweet Sixteen. Have you, have you guys heard of that show? It's like some dumb show on MTV. Um, and the, that, that show is all about how these kids throw like um, a Sweet Sixteen birthday party um, and they spend enough money to where they could probably like solve world hunger. Um, they spend like thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars and all these kids, they get like, a Range Rover, and they rent out this, and they have an after party, and 50 Cent comes and wraps up their birthday party, right? And part of the show is always showing who's going to get an invitation. Who, who's going who's gonna to get the invitation? It's like a, getting the golden ticket from Willy Wonka. And so like, the part of like, the, the show, it's wrapping up to this party, and it shows these kids getting a ticket, and they're like freaking out of their minds, so they know it's going to be part, not party of the month, party of the year. I say that because we listened to that song earlier. Anyways, um, and, and the invitation a lot of times was like made of like gold and, and like I think one time a person spent $3,000 per invitation because it came with like a watch and gift cards. $3,000 on just the invitation times that by like 300 People just like to burn money, I guess. 
I say all this because an invitation, though, is kind of the way in which you can prepare mentally for what's going to happen. Like when you're a little kid, right, you're having your birthday party, some of you girls here, and what's your theme? Some kind of Disney princess? So your mom goes to the store and she gets these invitations, and it's like bell written all over it. And so when you open it, you can kind of see the theme of the party, and it tells you all the info. It tells you when you should come, and then it'll say kind of something like, uh, lunch will be provided, so please come hungry. You know, uh, tell you something about the presence that you like. So an invitation is giving you the stuff to prepare yourself to have the best time possible. And when I was in the fourth grade, I remember specifically, you need to make sure that you bring your sleeping bag because we'll be sleeping outside. You need to make sure that if you are allergic to allergies, we're having this type of pizza. Allergic to allergies. (laughs) I meant to say gluten. Okay, yeah, good. I got you guys to laugh. I said that on purpose. (laughs) I'm going to tell my wife about that one. She'll get a good kick out of that. To allergies. Should be a wall over there. Aaronisms, right? Okay. I'm flushed. <laughs> All that said, a silly illustration. But invitation was the way in which we can prepare our minds, prepare about what we're about to do. When I look at the Gospel of Mark, every other Gospel, you have Matthew, you have Luke, and you have John. They all begin their Gospels by having some kind of genealogy, some Christmas story where there's angels, there's some baby in a manger, there's some shepherds, and all those different things, all about proclaiming this Messiah, right? But when you come to Mark's Gospel, which is by far the shortest Gospel of all the other ones, you don't get that. You don't get some Christmas story about a little baby Jesus in the manger, no crying he makes. You get immediately... These two Old Testament quotes talking about making room and preparation for the Messiah. It's almost as if Mark is trying to say, listen, like, to his audience, which is probably Roman in nature, he's like, I, I, don't, I don't care necessarily about all this whole, uh, not that he doesn't care, but he's like, listen, you have to understand that when Jesus comes into your life, you have to be ready and prepare for him. And just like we would want an invitation, the beginning of this gospel is really doing this one thing for you. It's helping you prepare for what you are about to encounter in this book. All of the miracles, all of the teachings, all of the the, the crazy things that Jesus did in his life, as you get to know who he is, Mark is persuaded that you need to prepare. And he does this by showing us this specific and special messenger. That in essence, when Jesus is such an important person, that in fact, your thoughts on who Jesus is are by far the most important thoughts you'll ever have in your life. Mark is trying to tell us, prepare, get ready. And so he quotes, like I said, two Old Testament prophets, and he says their task was that there would be a voice crying out to others to make way for the coming king. It's almost like if, if the king was coming into town, he would send in his heraldry, he would send in the announcers, and they would say, prepare yourselves for the king. will bless you with his presence. So this passage is a passage that is helping us prepare to understand who Jesus is. So my points tonight are simple, okay? We have the man the message, 
and the meaning. I just want to look at this. Just, we're just looking at eight verses, right? Pretty simple. Just eight verses. And I want to show how we are to prepare for Jesus. So go ahead and look with me at verses four and following. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the country in Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. So when it says John appeared, um, we're not to be confused with the gospel writer John, who's one of Jesus' disciples. This is John the Baptist, who we actually learn from other gospels. He is the cousin of Jesus. Now, when we talk about the man of John the Baptist, when I, when I remember like as, as a kid, first hearing about John the Baptist, I, I could not wrap my mind around who he was. Because the only thing I ever remembered was something about he ate locusts. But let me, um, I don't know how many of you were, were in big church this morning when I preached. I, I mentioned the verse that Jesus says in Matthew eleven eleven, in which Jesus says that no other man who has come before is greater than John the Baptist. So when we consider John the Baptist, Jesus himself says that there has never been anyone more important in history than John the Baptist. The locust-eating dude in the wilderness. What is it about this man that makes him so important that Jesus would bestow upon him that title? Something we have to remember about Mark's gospel is he doesn't give us tons of detail. But somehow in these verses, there's something he's trying to communicate. Do you think it's strange that when it, when it comes to Jesus, right? Okay, just, just think for a second. Jesus is by far the most important person ever in history. And you would think, therefore, that the person who announces and prepares the way for this king would be someone who is probably close to being equally as awesome. But who does God use? Isn't it strange that God would use someone to communicate his truth and love by someone who wore camel's hair and leather belts and ate locusts and honey? I mean, look at me for a second. Somehow God thinks it's a good idea to communicate the gospel through me. I say all this because when it comes to God telling us about Jesus, wouldn't it be better if he sent an angel? If, if, if God just sent an angel to your room and said, hey, here's everything you need, you need to know about Jesus. You feel like that'd be a lot more effective than the dude wearing his hat on backwards, right? Doesn't even know what he's saying, allergies and. <laughs> but God uses imperfect, incomplete people like us to communicate his truth. See, John, John the Baptist was a remarkable man for many reasons, and his appearance is one of those reasons. You see, when we think about Old Testament times, we, we kind of think like, yeah, they were like. 
old living, they didn't have electricity, people dress weird. And we think about Jesus' time, we probably think the same thing. But let me tell you, if John the Baptist appeared right here, right now, like he would stick out, right? If he was walking in downtown Olympia, like even the weird people in Olympia would be like, that dude's weird, right? Like he is not someone who's normal in our society. But let me tell you this, he was just as weird in his own time. And matter of fact, specifically, John the Baptist is trying to make a statement by how he dressed. In 2 Kings 1.8, we see that the prophet Elijah wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. So John the Baptist was trying to establish himself as an Old Testament prophet, that he was someone to take serious. I'm going somewhere with this, right? I'm going somewhere. Just follow A lot of people kind of consider this age that we're in, they, they call it the age of authenticity. That, that kind of this big push in our culture is that you just be true to yourself. Just, just be whoever you want to be. Do whatever feels right. Kind of just live true to who you are. Be authentic. And let me tell you for a second. There are many, many dangers of a society that tells you to do whatever you want and whatever feels right. But I also think there's an opportunity to be a witness, to be a way to prepare people for Jesus. You want to know why? Because as Christians, people are always watching our lives to see that if what we claim to be true is consistent with how we live. John the Baptist was the most modest man alive. You want to know why? Because he lived consistently with the message that he spoke. He, I, think, I think if John the Baptist showed up, we would like him. I think culture would like him. Do you want to know why? Because he preached a clear message and he lived consistently what he preached. There was an authentic passion about John the Baptist that I'm sure that cannot be found in any other person. He was content and he was fine because his mission was to proclaim the one coming after him. And just as a point of, as, as illustration, when we look at the man, John the Baptist, this authentic man who ate locusts with wild honey, it actually kind of sounds like if I was starving, I would eat that. Who agrees? The wild honey sounds really good, I don't know. But as we consider this man who lived an authentic life, who spoke a very simple message, here's what I think this means for us. That every single one of us, we have opportunities to prepare the way for Jesus by the way we live. Listen. A lot of times we can sing these great songs, we can declare with our mouth to our parents and to our leaders and to our friends, what we believe. But a lot of times, how we live isn't always true to that. We want to express ourselves, we want to be authentic, but I think some of you, if if I can assume here, sometimes feel this disconnect between how you live and what you say you believe. Sometimes that might be a pretty large gap, I would say. And when we consider the man of John the Baptist, what we see is a man who in how he lived and how he dressed and what he ate, do you know what he was doing? 
It was being himself. See, before it was even cool, John the Baptist was content with who he was. And you want to know something? That people were attracted to that. What does it say? In verse 5, And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him. Like everywhere, like in the urban cities, were going out into the boonies to see this crazy dude and to hear him speak. Matter of fact, John the Baptist's ministry was so widely felt and seen that when Paul is on a missionary journey in Asia Minor, like thousands of miles away, they know who John the Baptist is. And I wonder for us, when you go to your high school or your community college, are you able just to be yourself? That these are the convictions I, I live and I stand by. And I don't have to change for any person. That I don't have to come up with ways in which I can kind of skirt around with some of these things I, I say I believe. So it leads me to the message. The message of John the Baptist. Now, if you go ahead and look down at verse 6, we get a little bit, excuse me, verse 7, he says this, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, is, uh, he actually calls all the crowds and all the people who come to him a brood of vipers. All right, let me just tell you something. That's not a nice name, all right? It is not a very um, helpful name. But here's the thing. People still came and heard him preach. Imagine like me getting up here and just saying some horrible name at you, and you guys were still eager to hear what I was about to say. I mean, that is how compelling he is, which is why Jesus also, I mean, to, to quote his words again, said, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. But what did he preach? This is maybe the heart of the message here. John the Baptist preached a message of repentance. Think for a second. If you knew the Messiah was coming, matter of fact, let's, let's, let's make this modern scene. If you knew that Jesus was going to visit this youth group next Sunday, and I'm like, guys, we got, we got seven days till Jesus comes. He's taking a special break from the glories of heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's going to come. And he's going to be here. And we got to prepare. I'm like, you know, pick up that piece of paper, get that thing on the wall, you know, like get a priest in here, make some holy water or something, you know, put some more prayer requests. Let's have a party. I think Jesus would really like group your floats. Like, we got the lighting in here is just horrible. Let's, let's fix it. Like, something, right? Like, you would want to prepare in a way that would kind of like a fun. I mean, imagine if it's not even Jesus. Imagine if it's Russell Wilson coming in. He lost it, by the way. You would prepare by doing the, the normal type of things. Like, you would throw a party. You would have really good music that day. Maybe have Riley ask some other... I don't know. I was going to try to make a joke against Riley, but it didn't work. But think for a second. What, what, what is John the Baptist's role? I guess it was funny enough because... <laughs> well, it still works because people laughed, and I, I'm assuming they laughed at your expense and not mine. Kidding. 
sorry, I'm lost camera in it. John the Baptist, his job was to prepare people for Jesus. And how does he choose to prepare people? By calling them to repent. By not doing some special type of party or big, fast, famous things, he tells them to repent. Now listen, repent is a very Christian word that I think a lot of times gets kind of confused and muddled. Repentance is a Christian word because what it is telling us to do, it is telling us that we need to reorient our lives. That in essence, we have been living one way, but now we need to choose a different way. That in essence, we need to turn around, have a full 360. Repentance does not mean that just once in my life, okay, I'm going to decide to stop doing this. Repentance is a daily thing in which we say, the way in which I was living was wrong, but today I'm going to reorient myself and live in this new way. But here's the thing. Why do we need repentance? Why do you as a high schooler need to repent? Why are the words of John the Baptist still just as relevant for us as it was for them back then? And here's why. We repent because of sin. Sin is not just kind of failing to live up to your potential. Like, you know, I I could have done a lot better and I tried really hard, so, you know, I, I guess I'm a sinner. No, 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 no. Sin is more than that. Sin is failing to live up to God's law. In essence, to be a sinner is to say, I have not fulfilled what God wanted me to do. I have transgressed his law. A few years ago, the hymn, In Christ Alone, was being added to a major denomination uh, hymn book. But people on the board wanted to substitute the words, the wrath of God was satisfied to the line of the love of God was magnified. The writers of the song said, we will not give you permission to change the words of our song. And so they plucked it from the hymn book. And someone wrote an article saying why they wanted to change it. And they said, the view that the cross is primarily about God's need to assuage God's anger would do a disservice in forming the faith of coming generations. In essence, hey, listen, guys. I mean, if we keep talking about this whole sin and God's wrath thing and that Jesus had to die because we're bad people, like, come on, man, how how are we going to fill churches? It's going to do this service to the the young people. But listen, repentance is not needed if there isn't sin. John was serious about his message. Sin makes repentance necessary. And every single day we need to repent. So you look at Martin Luther here, uh, this old German dude. He started this thing called the Reformation. Kind of a big deal. But he said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This is what he's saying. Every single day, we take sin seriously. And we choose to do the opposite. Every single day, we look at what our sin is And we say, no, I will reorient my life and stand with Jesus. Every single one of you, to be a Christian, means to live the daily life 
of repenting. To prepare for Jesus means this one thing. You guys ready? Preparing for Jesus means that we would repent. I don't know about you, but it seems like I always run into these people. I'm at a baseball game, and there's some dude with a big bullhorn, and he has a sign. He says, repent or go to hell. Right? You need to stop doing bad things. Let me tell you something. Repenting's, repenting isn't less than stopping to sin, but it is so much more than that. Repentance means that I need to understand that the way that I have been living my life is not conforming to God's law, and now I will stand to choose with God. John makes a very clear message, but here's the message. If you want to get ready to meet Jesus, if you, if you want to get ready for the one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, this is what you need to do. You need to repent. And so all the people came from all over, and they began to get baptized. But look what he says, verse 8. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John makes it very abundantly clear. That his baptism is incomplete. That he only baptizes you with water. It's like taking a bath. But there is one greater who will arrive. You see, John will only tell you to repent, but when Jesus comes, he will tell you to believe and repent. These actions go together. Turn from your sin and place your faith in the Savior of sinners, Jesus. As Tim Keller would say very poetically and beautifully, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. At the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is, this is the gospel. This is what it means to repent. It means to say, I am far more sinful than I ever thought I was. By repenting and believing in Jesus, we, we are affirming, but yet I am loved. I am known more than I ever thought I could have been. So the meaning. We are told that before the Messiah we must make preparation. Before we really come to see this Jesus for who he is in Mark's gospel, make room in your heart for Jesus by repenting. God sends John into the wilderness to call for repentance. You would think that if you knew the Messiah was coming, you would do something completely different. But here's the meaning. John can only wash you with Water, but Jesus will one day come and he will wash you on the inside. I, I love verse 8 so much. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Do, do you know what? So many things can be said about this verse. You guys ready for this? Being a Christian, being part of this youth group is so much more than just doing the right things, about saying the right things. It's so much more than just kind of showing up or reading your Bible or saying the prayers. Here's, here's the issue that the Bible is getting from, from the very first page to the very last page, that there is a sickness in our heart, and it is called sin. And we can do a lot of religious things. We, we can try our best. We can have effort, and we can just say, I'm going to 
just really tighten on my bootstraps here and be a good person, but it is only Jesus through his gospel message that can actually transform our hearts into where we can live a life in which we can daily repent. What, what do we learn from this passage? What is, it, what is it really getting at? It is calling us to, to look and to anticipate Jesus in which we would turn from our sins and believe in him. That's what it's calling us to do. He's preparing the way. He's saying, listen, I can only baptize you with water. But you need to make room in your hearts for Jesus by turning from your sins and believing in him. Guys, that's the Christian life. That's the Christian gospel. That we are far more sinful than we ever thought. We are far more loved and known than we ever dreamed or imagined. Like I said, this is a very small introduction to the Gospel of Mark, but in the future weeks we're going to look at who Jesus is and then what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you give us the confidence and the boldness to turn from our sin, to see it for what it is. Lord, I thank you that you have given us your word, that we can know you, that we can know for certain that our faith doesn't rely on tradition, it doesn't rely on just myths, but it relies on Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray that that you'd use these words, you'd use this time of singing to ingrain in our hearts over and over and over again that you love us, that you are for us, that you have called us to be your children. Thank you for these truths. We pray all this in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.